two dancers. One I just met yesterday. A little girl dressed in a beautiful dress and bright, shining eyes and a bow in her hair, beautiful little shoes on her, little dancing feet. Not even able to walk yet, but I could see in her that there's something that's going to dance. There is love in her life. There is grace in her life. There is faith in her life. And I was there to say a prayer for her and to dedicate her in her home with her mommy and her daddy standing there with her. Isla, beautiful little girl. And she's going to be a dancer. This afternoon at, at 3 o'clock, I'll say another kind of a prayer for a woman who lived out her years. She was born in 1939, March the 7th, 1939. And she danced her last dance just a few days ago. And I'll say a prayer about her life and the dance of her life and, and how today she dances in the heavens above. She dances on the clouds of glory dances for the God who gave her a life of great dances. And as I look at those two dancers, one just beginning, just beginning her little life, one having ended her life, it causes me to just stop and think over and over again how short life really is. Do we, do we know how short it is? And now someday you're going to look back and someday you want to know some things. Someday you want to understand some things about this life that you lived and this life that you danced and this life that you embraced. What will you remember? That's a good question. What will you remember? What will you look back at years from now as your life is winding down, knowing deep in your heart that it was worth it. It was all worth it. The time and the energy and the investment of what you gave yourself to, it was worth it. My guess is that whatever it is that you'll remember, it's something that, that touched your heart deeply, something that you fully invested yourself in, something that called the best out of you, something about love and grace and faith and relationships. It will be something that was amazing because we are all looking for amazing and we go just about everywhere looking for amazing. Let me feel something amazing. Let me see something amazing. Let me do something that is amazing. And the world offers it to you in all different sizes, shapes, and forms. And the world calls you into all kinds of venues for amazing. But the truth is, the truth is, amazing is right here. Amazing is right here, right now. It's in something I call imagine a church. I've always believed that church should stretch our hearts and minds about what God has called us to do and be. There must be stretching. 
I've always believed that connecting to relationships, that risk being real, is what Christian community must strive for. I've always believed that compassion drives us into strategic mission. And so as we begin this Push to Start Faith series, let me talk to you about being a church that is driven by compassion. Let me explain to you what that means and how it looks and, and what it feels like. Imagine a church driven by compassion. Imagine that church being you right here, right now. Matthew chapter 5. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And nobody had ever taught like this before. Nobody says things like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It doesn't look like the meek inherit the earth. What kind of teaching is this? Who is this? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. I don't feel blessed when people insult me. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Who are you? Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And while this passage has been debated and, and torn apart for centuries and people have looked at all the different nuances of meaning, I go right to those final words and I say, that's the impact. That's what he was driving for. That's what he wanted everybody to understand. In the same way, let your light shine before men. Let it shine before the world. Let it shine before mankind that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The message translation puts those last few verses this way. 
let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors of the world, in the world. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, shine, shine on that hilltop. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. By opening up to others, it'll, it'll nudge people toward opening up with God. They won't have excuses anymore. They won't say, well, we don't really know what you do over there. They won't say, well, your, your actions don't match up with your words. By opening up to others, by doing good works, people will understand who God is when you have compassion and that compassion is released into the world. There's no denying that something different is there. Something has just shown up that's out of the norm. Why did you come and why did you do this? And why did you give yourselves away? And why did you invest in us? Why do you do things like that? And then you have a chance to say, it's because God has done so much for us. Imagine a church. Imagine a church. A church driven by compassion first understands God's heart of compassion for the world. We must begin there. A church driven by compassion understands God's heart. God has a heart of compassion for the world. And if I can be overly simplistic today, let's look at God's heart on two levels. Let's look at it from two directions. The first part of God's heart is, is the relational part. And the second part of God's heart is the mission Let's look at the relational part of his heart first. Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. The matter-of-factness of that statement carries with it the weight of centuries of God trying to send his message through all different kinds of individuals. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. We're coming down to the wire. God couldn't, couldn't risk misunderstanding, and so he sent his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. That's a pretty bold statement. I went to the planetarium in New York this summer, on August the 9th, I was 
seated in the Hayden Planetarium. People come there from all over the world. The place was, was just packed out. I was with one of our elders and his son. And so they began this, this program of trying to explain the universe and how it came into being. And it was narrated by, by Whoopi Goldberg. And Whoopi Goldberg was waxing eloquent about the stars and how they came into being. But we were all very surprised, and we talked about this later, that the way they started out was in the beginning there was this dark stuff or this dark matter in the beginning was dark stuff. And, and they had to start somewhere, right? They had to, they're trying to explain something that nobody can explain. And so they go, well, there was dark stuff and then, then dark stuff started to swirl around and then there was a little tiny baby star. Then there was another baby star. They got married and they had other baby stars. And after a while, all the stars have a babies. It was the universe. Thanks a lot, Whoopi. You really helped me out here. People coming from all over the world and this is all we got in the beginning was dark stuff. But you see, as much as science can understand about the universe, it still doesn't understand the universe. They're getting ready to launch another telescope bigger than the Hubble. It's going to take us farther into the reaches, the vast reaches of the universe. And you know what we're going to find out? In the beginning was dark stuff. Like we just, we don't know. Might as well write on the side of the telescope right now. We don't really know. We're still kind of looking. But the Bible comes at this from a different angle. The Bible says it's all about relationship. It's all about the relationship that God wanted to have with his creation. And do I understand that? I don't understand it in its totality, but I understand the relationship side of it. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Ah, I see something else there about relationship. Somehow we were in trouble. Somehow we had something that needed care. We needed to be fixed in some way. We needed somebody to intervene. And so Jesus comes and he intervenes and he, he forgives us. And if you know anything about life, you know that sometimes you say wrong things and sometimes you do wrong things. And sometimes you go to time out and sometimes you, you read in the paper, why did these things happen? How could people do these things to each other? And you know that human beings have some big relational problems. And so this God who is relational and whose compassion moves into relational arenas, he comes and he takes care of that right now. Jewish brothers and sisters are going through their high holy days and I think they're either just now past or they ended yesterday or today but Yom Kippur just took place the day of atonement 
It's when they know that there has to be forgiveness of sins. We've said wrong things. We've thought wrong thoughts. We've acted in ways that, that we shouldn't act. We need forgiveness. And what the New Testament says is that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn in two, which was very symbolic. It was symbolic of a relationship that God wanted to have with you. No longer was that a place where only a high priest could go once a year to get forgiveness that you needed. But now that forgiveness just rushed out. It rushed out everywhere. It rushed out all over the earth. It rushed out all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And it rushed all the way up until today because relational compassion is so important. It's so much on God's heart. John puts it this way in a verse that you know very well and a verse that you might not know very well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever puts the entirety of their life upon Jesus and what he did and the finished work on the cross and everything that he gave to you to show you who he was and you enter a relationship with him. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It is all about the relationship. You are saved because of the relational nature of God, the relational compassion of God. Relationships are so important because sometimes they save us. They even save us from ourselves. I'm flying down Great Neck Road the other day. I'm driving a Volkswagen convertible. It belongs to my wife. I make it very clear it belongs to my wife. I'm driving the Volkswagen convertible with the top down because I love to drive convertibles. It's, it's the only one I have access to, this, this bug convertible. And anytime somebody in church sees me driving it, I always get a phone call. Was that you I saw driving the Volkswagen convertible? And I say yes. And they go, ha, 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 ha. So thank you very much for mocking me. You should have a little more respect than to mock your pastor for driving a Volkswagen convertible. So... But that's what happens. You driving about? Yes, I was. Ha, I got somebody caught up to me at a light the other day and rolled their window down and went, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> hurts me. Hurts. But I love driving top down, wind blowing through my hair. I can still feel it. I can still feel it. I, I imagine. Imagine a head of hair. Imagine, imagine a head of hair while we're imagining. So driving down. Neck Road, and I've got somebody in the car that I'm trying to be professional with, and, um, and, and I notice up ahead they're cutting grass. It's annoying to me when they cut the grass and they blow the grass in the road because it gets all over everything. It's a big cloud of dust, grass clippings, dirt flying in the air, and I got the top down. I think, how am I going to get through this? And I go, okay, I'm going to do a really quick little S maneuver. I'm going to hit the accelerator. I'm going to speed up. I'm going to go fast. Zoom right through on the other side. S maneuver. I'm clear. I'm good. I'm good until I look up and there's a motorcycle police officer following me. And, and I think, 
you know, maybe, maybe he's going to 7-Eleven. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he's not following me. So he follows me for about two or three blocks. Now, why, if you're a police officer, why do you do that? Why don't you just throw the lights on right away? Why do you make me sick to my stomach for three blocks? You know, and what I'm doing during that time is what any well-respected pastor would do. I am just praying. I am praying. God, no. God, please. God, the grass cutters, it was their fault. It wasn't me. So three blocks go by. I'm thinking, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I won't get pulled over. Maybe I'm right in front of the church, and he throws the lights on. Sirens. Pulls me over in front of the church. Embarrasses me in front of the church. License and registration. Here we are. Officers, the grass cutters. I was trying to get through. License and registration. Goes back. Checks, you know, see if I have, you know, any criminal activities recently going on in my life. You know, comes back, and, I, and while he was gone for that second, I thought, maybe, maybe today I'll be blessed. Maybe today I'll be blessed in some way. He comes back, hands me my license. You know, he's still glasses, got the whole intimidating helmet, everything, you know, all this stuff. And he says this. Did you ever teach a, a religion class uh, over at the base. And right then I'm thinking, oh, I hope I gave him an A. Oh, I hope, I hope, I hope I gave him an A on his final exam, an A on his project. I hope I was always nice to him in class. Please. I said, yeah, that was me. He said, well, I was in your class about 10 years ago. Put your seatbelt on. And he walked away. I was saved because of relationship. <laughs> Relationships save us. If you need your tuition paid and somebody pays it, you're saved. If you need a Heimlich maneuver and somebody Heimlichs you, you're saved. It's all about relationship. It's always about relationship. And the very heart of God is so much about relationship that he came into the world for you to save you because of relationship. His compassion was so big and full for you. He only asks that you respond to that kind of compassionate relationship. But then there's the other side. There's the mission side. And there are verses about this all over the Bible. I'm just going to give you Two, both from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 19, 17. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. That is a very interesting way of looking at missions and ministry. He who is kind to the poor, she who is kind to the poor, lends to the Lord. It's like you're, you're loaning God, your money, you're loaning God your time, your energy, your efforts, and he will reward him for what he has done. Out of God's compassion, you know why he rewards you? Because he wants you to do that more. Proverbs 21, 13. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, if a woman shuts her ears to the cry of the poor, he too, she too, will cry out and not be answered. The 
poor cry out. They cry out from positions of suffering. They cry out from positions of confusion. They cry out from positions of, how did I get backed into this corner? I didn't, I didn't even do anything. I was just born into the world. I woke up. I was in an orphanage. If we ignore the cry of the poor, when we get stuck, God says, why do you want me to answer you? You didn't answer me when I was crying out. And you think about the story that Jesus told about the sheep and the goats, and you go, oh, my goodness. And so God's heart is so compassionate. It's so big. His compassion is for you to know him through his son. And then his compassion is to send you to be a light in the world, to do good stuff. So that people go, I didn't believe there was a God because so much bad stuff happened all around me. But then some people showed up and all they did was good stuff all the time. And we didn't even ask for it. They showed up and they did it. And they said they came because there was a God who sent them to do this. There must be, there must be a God. A church driven by compassion understands God's heart of compassion for the world. A church driven by compassion always leads with what if. What if? What if we go? Well, what's going to happen? We don't know. But what if? See, the other side of that is what if we don't go? What if we don't help? What if we don't? give? What if we don't invest? And there aren't any good answers on the what if we don't side, but on the what if side, there are some amazing answers. What are you going to remember? Whatever it is, it's going to be amazing. When we went to Togo, we talked to the team before we left to ask, what do you think's going to happen? The what if? What if you go? What if? And then we got on the other side of that and said, okay, what happened? Take a look. It's it's a huge blank slate to me. I expect some adventure. Well, I'm not sure, um, and I think that's part of the adventure. I, 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 going and not knowing exactly what's going to happen. I think there's a lot of unknowns as far as the well and exactly what we're going to do. Well, that's part of the adventure, as I'm not sure yet. I, I think if we're open to God's spirit, whatever will happen will happen, you know? I'm expecting God to show up and in ways that we really can't imagine. I saw a lot of things that I've never seen before, a lot of ways that people lived, and, and let me see a bigger picture. It's just amazing how everything fell into place. It really, I mean, there's no other word to explain it. Just, you know, we were definitely blessed. So at the end of the week when we, we actually had water, I think I got sprayed with the first set of water coming out of the pump, and it was just amazing. It was like, yes, we did it. We um, gave them more hope. It was the best feeling to know that we hit a good water supply, one that was very likely to be long-lasting and good, clean water. It was the best feeling there is. I don't think I'll ever forget that. It, it just, it, it, I think I was 
as happy as the villagers were about that water coming out. It just, and I, and I still see the water pumping out and everybody laughing and spraying it on the kids. It was really exciting to be a part of a community that relied on us to hit water and just to see their faces when they saw the water coming up. It was really neat to be a part of that. I was excited. I, I think it's um, the hardest, toughest adventure you'll ever go on and you'll come back with, with the most fun and, 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 and the most rewarding experience you've ever been on. Toughest thing you'll ever go on, most rewarding experience you'll ever have. You see, we asked, what if? And it turned out amazing. If you want to get to amazing, if you want to imagine a church that's driven by compassion, you have to ask the what if question. We have to lead with what if, and God will take us into the very heart of the adventure. A church driven by compassion sacrificially gives the resources needed for the demands compassion presents. A church driven by compassion sacrificially gives the resources needed for the demands compassion presents. And that's what you, you do all the time. You do this. You help teenagers go to Appalachia and you help teams of of moms and dads and individuals and students go to Nicaragua to be at orphanages and you send us as a team to Togo, Africa and, and we go to Denmark and we help them develop leadership in a country that's a post-Christian nation with the Global Leadership Summit happening there next month. And there's so many places in between locally, Samaritan House and the Judeo-Christian Outreach Center and the Pack-a-Pack program where we send kids back to school with full backpacks and the, the turkey basket thing where we'll have over a hundred baskets that'll give thanksgiving to people. You, you give sacrificially for the demands compassion presents and it changes the world. It changes people's lives. I got this letter back from one of our team members on the trip to Togo. We have been back from Togo for several weeks now and I am still consumed with thoughts of our friends in the villages throughout Kovi. While in Africa, I was struggling big time trying to figure out what God's plan would be for me when we got back to the United States and back to my everyday life as a stay-at-home mother. My life has been blessed and I am forever changed. Little by little, God is showing me his plan for my life. And I have been able to share what I took away from my time in Togo with many people here. I've been able to share the joy I have, I have in meeting true warriors for the Lord that battle voodoo, AIDS, hunger, and many other situations because they do not lose heart. Though outwardly they are wasting away, yet inwardly renewed day by day. For their light and momentary troubles are achieving an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. She quotes 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Though many of the details were unknown, it was an amazing adventure that I was blessed to be a part of. I only hope to always remember this strongly. All the miracles we experienced, especially days when doubt creeps in. I feel blessed to be part of a church that knows the importance of missions and is active in helping many. Sincerely, Ashley Edwards. Ashley's life is a stay-at-home mom 
has been forever changed because you gave sacrificially the resources needed for the demands that compassion presents. Church driven by compassion understands God's heart of compassion for the world. And a church driven by compassion always leads with what if. But there's one final imagine a church requirement. It's the toughest of all. It's sometimes invisible to our eyes because we we see where we're going sometimes and we know even in the what if that it's something that's out of this place. But this fourth imagine a church demand, this fourth imagine a church concept is so strategic and important that without it, everything else collapses. Everything else dissipates and compassion evaporates into thin air. A church driven by compassion keeps the foundation for compassion strong. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Paul is writing this letter, of course. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. It almost doesn't make sense. They were in, in severe trials and they were in poverty. And yet their joy overflowed, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Let me give you the bottom line. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. A church must be strong in understanding that with the community being strong, with what the church is all about being strong, everything else is cared for. Everything else stays strong. A church driven by compassion keeps the foundation for compassion strong. And the foundation for compassion is the local church. And this this passage is so beautiful because we've always at Spring Branch held to this idea of grace giving. 
And it talks about that right here in 2 Corinthians 8. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. And what God is talking about through Paul is, is that it's not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. You only give out of what God gives you. But keeping the church strong and giving so that the foundation of compassion stays strong is what drives everything else. The church is the hub of the wheel. The church is the platform upon which missions are being built, upon which missions grow and expand. But it's so easy to miss this, this big piece of it, this big piece of compassion, that we have to keep this strong and vital for ourselves so that we are strong. When we're strong, everything else is cared for through the compassion that God has for you and for the world. The year is 1921. And there's a professor at Stanford University. His name is Lewis Terman. And he's a psychology professor, and he is fascinated by people who have high IQs. He decides that he will devote his life to the study of people who have high IQs. He wants to know what is it that makes a high-capacity person tick, and what are the results that come from the lives of high-capacity people. And so he runs all these tests, isolates a, a group of somewhere, estimates have it, you know, over a thousand kids. Uh, he follows them throughout their lifetime when they're adults, when they're at the end of their careers. He takes a look at them again. They were children identified as geniuses. He's followed them now for 50 years. He says, let me look at, at these kids. He finds that they break down into three groups. The first group he calls the A's. And the A's have done what he thought they would do. They're all successful. They have great careers, and they've made an impact in the world. 20% are A's. There's a, a wide band, 60% in the middle. These are the B's. They, they've lived satisfactory lives. They've, they've done fairly well. They didn't live out to the level of the A's. They didn't make huge differences in life and in the world, but, but they did okay. But what's surprising is that there was a C group, bottom 20%, and they kind of tanked it. You know, kind of didn't really live up to the potential of where they were gifted. And it was these words toward the end of this story that rocked me back on my heels. Let's not forget how highly gifted the C group was. If you had met them at five or six years of age, you would have been overwhelmed by their curiosity and mental agility and sparkle. What did the C's lack, though? Not something expensive or impossible to find. Not something encoded in DNA were hardwired into the circuits of their brains. They lacked something that could have been given to them if we'd only known they needed it. A community around them that prepared them properly for the world. A community around them that prepared them properly for the world. No one 
not rock stars, not professional athletes, not software billionaires, and not even geniuses ever makes it alone. The most important part of what we do in compassion is being a community that, that surrounds children, a community that surrounds young people and nurtures them, a community that surrounds adults in all stages of life and that teaches this is how you must live, this is who you must be, this, these are the demands that God has put upon your life. When that community is vital and strong, everything else falls into place. And so I invite you to imagine a church that is driven by compassion because you are so invested in that church that you want that church to prevail, that you want that church to be strong, that you don't just come to church, but that you know you are the church, that you just don't attend and, and expect not that much to happen or change on any given Sunday or every given week, but you come expecting that God will speak into the very depths of your heart, changing you and shaping you for the demands of compassion. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men, before the world, that they see your good deeds and that they know that there is a God. We must have this place strong and vital. A church driven by compassion keeps the foundation for compassion strong. And the foundation for compassion is the local church because the local church is the hope of the world. Imagine a church driven by compassion. I've always believed that the church should stretch our hearts and minds about what God has called us to do and be. I've always believed that connecting to relationships, that risk being real, is what Christian community must strive for. I've always believed that compassion drives us into strategic mission, and that's when faith really comes alive. What will you remember? It will be something about love and grace and faith and life and relationships. It will be something amazing if you can imagine a church. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you will be speaking to all of our hearts right now. Whisper your truth to us. Call us. Nudge us. If need be, push us. Allow us to be a church driven by compassion, knowing your compassionate heart and living that out. Allow us to ask the what if question all the time. Allow us to keep the hub strong, the foundation strong, so all these things can change the world and be the hope of the world. Father, we give you this church, we give you our lives. We only can imagine what you will do. But we ask this in Jesus' name.